Okay, everybody, Freilich and Hanukkah. Hope you guys are having fun, hanging with family, hanging with friends, uh, and celebrating the uh, the glory of uh, of the great miracles. Uh, we do have a Parsha this week, though, <laughs> a Parsha that often gets un- overlooked because we're so busy celebrating uh, the miracles of Hanukkah, and Parsha's Miketz. So, a quick rundown, as you know, Paro's dreams, fat cows, skinny cows, fat wheat, skinny wheat, you guys are familiar. Uh, Sarah Mashkim, you know, as soon as Paro has trouble interpreting his dreams, he remembers, oh, by the way, there was this kid in jail who interpreted my dream, and Paro's like, hey, why don't you get that guy over here? So Yosef comes to Paro, Yosef, Paro says to Yosef, I heard you can interpret dreams, and Yosef says, something we'll talk about uh, at length, he says, Biladai, no, it's not me, it's a Kosh Baruch Hu. Uh, then obviously he goes and interprets his dreams. Paro makes him second in command. He's so impressed, he makes him second in command. Uh, and Yosef sets out to save, you know, grain and food and whatnot uh, the f- during the seven years of, uh, of plenty for the seven years of famine. Yosef has two j- kids, uh, Menashe and Ephraim, in Egypt. Uh, and then we switch to Yaakov and the brothers, right? Then we have a switch point of view. We go back to Yaakov and his brothers in Eretz Israel. They have food, but Yaakov feels like it's important to not look like they're doing okay. So he sends his sons down to Egypt to get food. The brothers obviously bow down to Yosef, and Yosef accuses them of being spies. Right? They go back and forth, right? It's familiar. Uh, Yosef says he should prove it by bringing your other brother down, right? Uh, bring Binyamin, right? Uh, he imprisons Shimon, right? And sends the, the brothers back to Yaakov. Uh, Yaakov initially refuses to send Binyamin, and then, you know, Reuven tries to convince him, and then finally Yehuda convinces him, and Yosef sees Binyamin and decides to test his brothers, right, to see if they've done tshuva, right, for selling him, he brings them to his home, he feeds them, he drinks with them, uh, he sneaks his goblet or whatever into Binyamin's bag, and obviously the Parsha ends with Yosef's messenger running after them, right, saying, hey, why'd you steal this stuff, and they find it in, Yosef, in, in Binyamin's sack, right, and uh, the brothers return to Yosef, Yosef says Binyamin's going to be his slave, and... End and cut scene. Right, that's when the parsha ends, right, and we're left dun 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 in suspense uh, for what's going to happen next week. Okay, so a couple of words, a couple of inyanim, right, not too long today. Baruch um, Hashem feels like things are are busy all the time, but we gotta 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 learn some uh, some parsha. First of all, what in the world were the brothers thinking? Um, it per- I think, personally, one of the most bizarre questions on the entire Yosef story is, and yes, I realize this is a little bit hindsight 2020, but how could the brothers not have even thought or considered the fact that they were talking to Yosef? But it never occurs to them, even once, it seems it seems like that, at least from the psukim, and from when they find out it is Yosef, it seems like that. It didn't even occur to them. Right, that Yosef is Yosef. Now, I get, I get it. It's a lot of, you know, present-day bias and looking back on the story after the fact. But check out all the really weird things that happened to the brothers, and they, and they don't even blink an eye. They don't, it doesn't even register. Right, first of all, Yosef takes them, uh, after he accuses them of being in uh, spies, he throws them all in jail for three days, right? and then he takes them out and, and tells them what to do to, to get their... They're, they're, you know, shown out of jail and to get their food and prove that they're not spies. Puzzle says, right, Bereshit Perik Lamed Zayin, Puzzle Chavei, Vayomer Yosef Alehem Bayom Ashlishi, right, on the third day after he put him in jail, Yosef says to them, Zos Asuvichyu, do this and you'll live. Et HaElukim Aniare, I fear God. How many God-fearing Egyptians do you think there were down in Mitzrayim? Right, probably one, right, probably one, and the guy they were talking to. Right, how many God-fearing people were there in the world at that time? Right, Yosef says that, and, and just they just just rolls off his tongue, and nobody pays any attention to it. 
Later it says, uh, when, when the brothers are re- recounting to Yaakov what happened, uh, he says, Again, the, the brothers are recounting that Yosef, we don't see this in the Barsha so much, but uh, a little bit in the Psukim, but the brothers say that, hey, you know, Yosef asked all about our family. Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother, etc.? And we told him, okay, so that's that's not a slam dunk, fine. But the, I wonder, and we'll see it a little bit later in a second, right, that in hindsight, why didn't they think, why was the the second in command, the vice president, the viceroy, as they translate terribly in art school, right? Why was this vice president so concerned with their family who were not in Egypt and posed no clear present danger, right? Yes, okay, he's trying to make a big show about, you know, if they're telling the truth or not, but okay, we'll see this comes back up a little bit later in a second. Uh, another thing I guess I probably should have mentioned earlier is that the Puzzle says when, when Yosef took Shimon uh, and threw him in jail, Pazik says, that he jailed them, he imprisoned him to their eyes. As Rashi quotes, he quotes the measures over there that as soon as the brothers left, Shimon was fed well and, and given food and drink and, and released. Right? Shimon never mentions this to anyone, right? not to the brothers when he comes back, how nicely he was treated in Mitzrayim. Isn't that a little... I mean, he's thrown in jail, the brothers leave. Oh, by the way, right? he takes him to a restaurant, cleans him up, gives him a shower. Books him, puts him up in a hotel for a couple of years, like, or I don't know if it was years, maybe it was a couple of months. I forget exactly how long the, the time frame is. In my head, it, it sticks two years, but I could be wrong. I have to, I have to think about it. Anyway, so but Shima never mentions to them that how well Yosef treated them. Is not that ring? Is that weird? Furthermore, when the brothers come back down to Egypt. Pazik says that they ate with Yosef in his house. The Pazik says, that they ate separately, that Yosef ate separately to his brothers. And and the Mitzrim who were eating with them also sat separately. And the Pazik says, because the Egyptians couldn't eat bread with the Jews, because they thought, right, they talk about racism back in the day, that the real, yeah, the original racists, right, they, they, they could not even eat with the Jews in the, because it was a toiva, it was disgusting to eat, eat bread with Jews. So it didn't occur to them that the Mitzrim were eating separately from the Jews, right, the, the brothers. And Yosef, like, why wasn't Yosef eating with them? He was supposed to be a Mitzri, an Egyptian king. Like, why? Why was? Why were they eating separately from him? Right. And then during that meal, you know, the Rashi explains. Right. The Pesukim don't say this so much, but Rashi really right, blows it out. He says that the brother, right, Yosef set the brothers in order, uh, and Rashi says that he identified each brother by name and grouped the brothers who were from the same mother together and even said to Binyamin, your mother is dead, so is mine, you sit next to me. Now, yes, I get it, right? As I explained, he was pretending to divine all this or to divinate, whatever the word is, to figure this all out from his cup. He was pretending to be like a sorcerer, but like, hello, like, in, this doesn't ring any bell whatsoever. And finally, the sixth, I think it's six, what do we do, five, six, when the brothers come back again right, and ask if their fathers are still alive, right now, that ha- makes no sense. Meaning, okay, it, during the first time when he's accusing them of being spies and they're giving them the whole family background, right? so he's asking them about their family, fine. But when they come back again the second time and bring Binyamin, proving that they were telling the truth, 
Now he starts asking again about the family, about their father. Is everybody still alive? Is everybody okay? What in the world, what purpose would that line of questioning serve? Right? They've proven that they're not spies. They brought the other brother down to Egypt, etc. So what in the world? None of this, right? Again, now I get it. That, okay, maybe individually, right? These are not, you know, a hundred percent tells and things that the brothers should have picked up on. But when there's smoke, you kind of put things together, right? You know, with Hashem, with, with with my three year old, with Eitan, so you know, there've been doctors have been doing a bunch of tests on him, and as we've been told many, many times, right, things these things individually may not be alarming, but when you have a bigger picture, right, so then you kind of pay attention, right, more attention to the smaller details. So they're not inherently alarming on their own, but you know, you dig a little deeper when you're, you know, I guess whatever you have other issues. So nothing set them off, right? Nothing even occurred to the brothers that it was Yosef. Right? They did sell him to the Ishmaelim, traveling to Egypt. Right? Okay, we mentioned last week. Okay, we mentioned that maybe it's another version of the story. Maybe they didn't realize where he was. Okay, but Pashup Shah, they sold him to a group of Arabs going down into Egypt. Why? It, 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 it still to this day, I don't really have a great shot on it. Why it didn't even at least occur to them? Why that if that it was Yosef? So the Musr again. What I come back to is that the Musr is that very often things that are right in front of our faces. Are often the hardest things to see. Right? Again, like we talked about in the Shoram Shiram, which we have to get back to, I, know, I definitely get back to. But that that sometimes one of the midos that he talks about in the middle of the sefer, right, is it's hard, you pick yourself up out of the situation and look at it from third person. Right, that, that scenario, right, that's 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 the way that a person needs to assess right, whatever they're going through very often. Because when you're in the trenches, when you're dealing with it face to face, it's almost often. First, first of all, it's almost impossible to be objective, and sometimes it's impossible to see the issues whatsoever. Right? Again, if anybody has a little Sefer Anani, I feel like a lot of people have that, right? This is a tefillah that we say for, for a lost object. And uh, and the tefillah says something to the effect of, right? Right? Everything, everything is blind, and enlightens our eyes. Right? And he quotes a positive by, uh, by Hagar, that, uh, you know, she was, she wasn't, uh, she, you know, she thought that Ishmael was dying and she didn't see the well and she cried out and, and the angel right, opened her eyes and she saw the well and she gave Ishmael water. Right? And the implication from the Psukim, the puzzle seems to imply that the well was just there. She just didn't see it. Right? So, Gosh Baruchu is the one who allows us to see things, right? Even when they're right in front of our faces. And sometimes, especially when they're right in front of our faces. So, that's something that we have to kind of think about and realize. And the fact that we are able to do X, Y, and Z and see things and, and analyze Right, that's very often right, a gift from Akash Baruch Hu. <clears throat> and if we're able to kind of like look at our situations from a third-party perspective, right, very often that's that enables us uh, to see things with greater objectivity, and then you know do the, and perhaps do the right thing right, when we take our ourselves kind of out of the equation. Okay, uh, let's spend a little bit more time talking about this word biladai that Yosef says. And then we'll have a, sh- a couple short vorts uh, after that. Um, you know, you know, if you look at a few psukim in Parshas Vayeshev, uh, last week's Parsha, right, it says a couple times right, that the Mitzrim, right, Potiphar and the, the guy in charge of the jail, uh, knew that a Kosh Boruchu was making Yosef successful. Right, the Pesach says, Vayardonav ki Hashem ito, right, his master, Potiphar, saw that Hashem was with him. Vechol Hashem And everything that Yosef says, Yosef did, right, 
Hashem was making him successful. But by the jailer, it says also, right, in per, in, uh, later in that Pazik, right, in Perak, uh, Lamites, Pazik, Chav Gemel, right, Ein Sar Bezasar, Reoaz, Kol Mauma, Biado, right, the, the guy in charge of jail, right, got a vacation, right, Yosef was in charge of everything, he didn't, he didn't know anything that was going on. Why? Basher Hashem Yitel, because Hashem was with him, Basher Hulosah, Hashem Matzliach, and everything that Yosef did, Hashem was being Matzliach. Now, it's very nice to say that Yosef, was attributing everything that all of his success to Akash Baruch Hu, and that's sure that's that's what he does. That's that's Yosef's mo, right? He always attributes to Akash Baruch Hu. But it seems from the Psukim that the Mitzrim, right, these Ovde Avodah Mamish, knew that Hashem was the one who made Yosef successful. And obviously, from Yosef's point of view, Hashem was taking care of him. But the public said it seems to imply very clearly that the Goyim knew or thought that Hashem was helping him. So, so it, it doesn't seem like Yosef was trying to be Megayer them. So what's going on over here? So it it, it, it makes sense, and, it, and it's true, again, as we as we mentioned, right? since Shem Hashem Shgura B'piv, Rashi says, that since Yosef always mentioned, again, you don't need Rashi for that, you can just read the Psukim, but Yosef is always talking about a Kosh Baruch So since Yosef always said it, so they attributed Hashem to Yosef's success. Right, but again, Yosef says a bunch of a couple of examples. Last week's parsha, right? How can I be with you, Eishes Potiphar? How can I do this evil thing? Right, I've sinned to Hashem. Right, he says, Hashem is the one who has, right? The the pitronim, the 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 solution to the, to the dreams. Right, but maybe the best example, though, and the classic example, and we'll talk about it right now, is the word Biladai, right? This word that Paro comes and calls Yosef to the throne room. He says, hey, I heard you interpret dreams. And Yosef says, Biladai, it's not me, right? Elohim Yanez Shalom Paro. Hashem will answer, right, and Paro's, uh, you know, peaceful, peaceful mindset. It's not me. It's from a Baruch right? And the Nitziv there in Amakdover, right, points out that this is how Dan... Daniel answered Nebuchadnezzar, right? Same thing. And Nebuchadnezzar asked him to help him. And he said, Daniel said, it's not me telling you what you do, right? Hashem wants to give Nebuchadnezzar, you, the king, the future. So therefore, it's revealed to me. But it's not that I know the future, said Daniel. So same thing. So Hashem, Hashem, Yosef says, Hashem is answering the dream of Paro to tell Paro. But that's the only reason I understand it, because Hashem wants Paro's peace of mind. So, so a few lessons over here from this, these short few words. First of all, this one word, I always thought that Biladai, this one word, is the key to opening up success in this world. The moment a person realizes that it's not necessarily him or her that is causing the success, but a Gosh Baruch Hu, so that opens up a world of Shefa, a world of blessing. Right, that yes, obviously, we put in the effort, we put in the shtadlis, etc. But Hashem is the one who's raining down success and ability. And the second a person realizes that and says, Biladai, it's not really me. So then you've just opened up the doors uh, of the heavens and, and everything comes in. And we've talked about this at length, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on that. But that that's 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 A. B, Shem Shamayim Shigura Bapiv, right? Yosef having the Shem Shamayim, right, always talking about a Kosh Baruch Hu, right? How much can you tell about a person? from the way that a person speaks, right? The phrases and the words that are commonly found in, in his or her mouth, right? I saw a Rav once, went, went to, up to someone at a chasna, and he said, Shalom Aleichem, I can tell that you're a Yerei Shemayim. Now, this guy didn't know, they didn't know each other, I found that afterwards. The guy was surprised, the guy was like, what, uh, where do you get that from? So the Rav said, and this guy, this guy had made a bracha, on, did one of the Shev brachas under the chuppah, the Rav said, I can, the way you make a bracha, Right, the guy had gotten one of the Shav brachas under the chuppah. Apparently, the way he said the bracha right, was made a, a rosha, made an impression. 
the way a person speaks says a tremendous thing, uh, tremendous things about that person. I remember there was once some interview in some NFL locker room after a game, and I forget exactly already who it was, but I, 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 I'm trying to remember. See, now I'm trying to remember who it was. Now it's going to bother me. But I remember I wrote down, it, I, it, it was a fascinating interview for me because I was, I was just watching it, and I noticed it was so noticeable. Every other second, he was saying, "Well, just thank God. I got to thank God. I just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Thank God." I played it back. I remember playing back, going back on YouTube and playing it back and checking off. Dude mentioned God or the Lord or the Almighty, whatever it is, sixteen times in a three-minute video. Right? How many of us mention God sixteen times a day or a week? Right? How many of us say Baruch Hashem, Emirz Hashem, Bezuz Hashem, Chazde Hashem? Right? It's something to think about. If if uh, some you know Joe Schmo NFL player can mention a Kaj Baruch Hu, right uh, sixteen times in three minutes, right? And, and it's something to think about. If if we would not you know live up to that standard, so that says something about it. Not that obviously we can't compare us to some you know Joe Schmo football player, but it says something about a person that if Shem uh, Hashem is not Shkurabapiv, if we're not always constantly talking about a Kaj Baruch Hu. So that, that says something about a person. And conversely, if it is, so then that says something right about uh, about the other person as well. And finally, Rav talks also discusses this word, Biladai. He has a very simple but fascinating question that I would imagine most of us thought at some point during elementary school. What in the world did Paro see in Yosef to make him vice president? Right, Just because you could interpret a couple of dreams... Right, all of a sudden, now Yosef has a quality to be a king. Right, Paro takes a slave, a Jew, right, that the Mitzrim wouldn't eat with. Right, it was it was, it was the Toeva from Mitzrayim to eat with this person. Paro takes this guy and makes him second in command, higher than all his other servants. Servants, obviously, you know, wrinkling uh, or whatever the phrase is, rustling a few feathers and making a lot of Egyptians pretty upset, I'd imagine, over this appointment. Risking political, uh, you know, disaster. Why in the world is Paro willing to do this? Right? Political risk, social risk. Aside from the fact that Yosef has absolutely no experience running a country, right? it's like the uh, Havdil. Oh, I guess the Havdil. Yeah, it's like making Jeff Saturday head coach of the Colts, right? I'm um, even Yavin. So he explains. So Rukhash Malavitz explains that Biladai is what Paro saw in Yosef, right? That when uh, Paro said, "I heard you can interpret dreams," Yosef said, "It's not me." So Paro realized, here's a guy who takes no honor for himself, right? Who has 100% Yerush Shamayim says the Salva may come. Right? Ruchayim says that this kind of person, that's a person Paro can rely on. Right? He doesn't have to worry, he's going to stab him in the back, looking for his own honor, looking out for his own cover. He knows there's no one else he can trust in the entire... He knows his... Paro is king of his own... He knows his people. There's no one else he can trust in his country who, as much as Yosef, because Yosef doesn't take any any credit for himself. He's not looking for a credit. He's not looking to gain power. So Paro saw that and immediately, you know what? This guy's perfect. And Rav Chaim points out that Yosef actually kept his part of the bargain, right? He never took any cover for himself. Even the Psukim indicate that. And the Torah says that Yosef eventually sent wagons to carry his father down to Mitzrayim. And it says a bunch of times they sent the wagons, I'll pee Paro. It says, sent the, the Agalot al Piparo. Even though it was Yosef who sent them. Right? You see, he always did things al Piparo. He always did things in Paro's name. Right? He was the company man. Right? He was, he was 
Team Egyptian the whole way, right? Obviously, even though he wasn't happy with the culture, but you know, obviously he was part of his guy. Uh, and that's important for us to think about also, right? How often do we take covet for ourselves, right? And certainly when we do covet, right, and honor for our achievements, Yosef certainly right, saved the country from famine and death, etc. He certainly could have taken, you know, even a smidge of honor, right? He, but, you know, he decided, right, he realized that everything comes from Kodesh Baruch Hu. So, you know, how, how important is that for us, right? We're thinking our Hatzlacha comes from Kodesh Baruch Hu, right? Do we take all the honor and all the covet, or do we realize where it's really coming from? Okay, I heard, uh, moving on a little bit, I heard a, I heard a word from Rav Yoni Levin uh, in the name of Kedushas Levi. I didn't see this inside, um, but the Kedushas Levi said, the public says, when Yosef first saw his brothers, it says, Vais Naker uh, he, he, he made himself Vais Naker Lashon Nachri. Right, as if he didn't know them, right? Again, you know, Pazik said he spoke to them harshly, etc. But it also says that he made himself a stranger to them. Like, what, what, what is the Torah adding? Says the Kedushas Levi. What is the Torah adding? Uh, this little detail, right? We know right afterwards it says, that Yosef spoke, spoke badly to them, spoke harshly to them, accused them of being spies. Obviously, he didn't reveal himself until much later. Why does the Torah need to tell us that he made himself distant and a stranger to them? It's obvious. It's obvious he didn't say, "Oh, hey, hey, guys, good to see." You. And that's not what he did. Okay, so you don't need to tell me, right? So, so the Kedushas Levi explains that it was a midos thing, and that at that moment Yosef realized that he he had won, right? He was on top, right? The dreams were coming true, right? As Rashi writes by Yaakov, right? When he at the parshas by Yehi, when he bowed down to Yosef, when he came into the room, right? Yaakov needed him to guarantee that he would get buried in Eretz Yisrael. Right, so he quotes the Gemara Megillah, Tala be'idna sagidle. Right, get up or bow down to a fox in his time of glory. Meaning Yosef was on top. Yosef won, so Yosef was winning, and the brothers were definitely losing. Right, it says Eclesius Levi, an incredible Yisod Midos Tovos. When does it hurt to lose less? Meaning, when is when a person loses? When does it hurt less? Right, losing stings. Right, when is it less painful to lose? So he said to Kedushas Levi, when you don't know the person you're losing to. Now, I don't mean people who are close. Obviously, it's okay to lose, like, siblings and family or whatever, if you go bowling or whatever. But I'm, let's say two people who are enemies, right? And the brothers and Yosef were definitely enemies. Right? Make no mistake about it. The brothers wanted to kill him. Right? Yosef was talking bad to his father. Right? Again, they were definitely enemies. It hurts, hurts much less if you don't know you're losing to your enemy. And you think you're losing to some random dude. So Yosef did them that chesed. Right? He distanced himself. Right? He didn't talk to them personally, even though he could have. Right? He instead used an interpreter. Right? He didn't want them to feel like they were bowing down to Yosef in that moment. Because right? well, if they would have just bowed down to some Egyptian guy, okay, whatever, fine, it's not a big deal. Right? If they would have realized what was going on, that Yosef was winning and he was going to be, right? his dreams were true, and he, he, he was winning that battle now, finally, after 22 years, right? it would have, they would have felt... Obviously, they felt uh, badly. So this is a huge muster to us. Right? You know, sometimes it's very hard. Right? Sometimes it's very hard, especially when the person feels like they deserve right, what's coming to them. They deserve the victory. They de- deserve the success. Whether it's getting a job or the date or the promotion or the good grades or the success in business or in sports, certainly, if you're competing in high school and college or whatever. Right? If it comes at the expense of a friend and you know it's going to hurt them, so do as much as you can, whatever you can, to let them down easy. Right, try and take steps to ease the pain of defeat. 
right, from of your friend. Right, and don't revel in another person's sorrow. Right, some of the great sport, sportsmanship pictures, right, the, in my head at least, are the winners consoling the losers. Right, there's a famous picture of, like the Little League World Series, where the kid struck out or whatever, and the pitcher immediately ran over to the to the kid to give him a hug or something. Thinking about another person's pain is so chashuv, and especially when it comes at a time of your own simcha, right? That is. That is tremendous, tremendous level. I'm sure it was extremely fulfilling for Yosef to be right, right, after 22 years of being wrong. I'm positive it felt, and obviously we're talking about the Elvos and, as if they're me and you, but I would imagine for a normal human being, right, it, it felt amazing to be like, aha, see, I told you so. But still, Yosef didn't do that. He didn't say, I told you so. He took steps, right, not to gloat, not to rub it in their faces, not the Rabba, right? He took steps to make sure that the pain uh, of their defeat didn't sting as much. And tremendous, tremendous, but right, that Yosef was uh, was able to do. And something that we certainly have to think about, uh, our own Ben uh while we're working on our own spirituality, right? It's also, right, there's another half of those, uh, of the tablets, right? There's 10 tablets, uh, t- 10 commandments on two tablets. Well, one is between us and Akash Baruch and one is between us and fellow man, right? And it's very, very important to, to focus on the second tablet because very often it doesn't get uh, enough uh, enough play. Okay, just one quick, finally, just Shabbos Hanukkah, just one quick line. I can't go a year without quoting Rav Melech, <laughs> Rav Melech Biederman. Quotes these Rav Yisrami Ruzhin, Ruzhin Rebbe, right? Can't, can't live on Rechov Ruzhin, so can't, uh, can't go without quoting that as well. He quotes the name of his father that the Shabbos and Mopatan Shabbos Hanukkah are Bebuchinas Hayretz Vaisato Vavo. Right, that there was darkness in the world, but from now on out, right, Shabbos Chanukah, now it's Bechinas Vayomer Elokim Yihior Vayihior, that uh, once Shabbos Chanukah starts, right, you can start coming out of the darkness of the winter, right, and this Shabbos has the Koach to be Meir and Inibzar, and Inibzar Zacha, right, that we can, you know, maybe we can grow tremendously on the Shabbos, uh, so may it be a Shabbos of true light and growth in Torah, near Shemayim, and spirituality, etc. Uh, have a tremendous, tremendous Shabbos.